good day, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, welcome back to our live Q&A session. Thank you, Christo Petkoff of Maersk and Sebastian Steinmuller of DHL for uh, those uh, fantastic keynote presentations uh, that really added some more uh, depth and context to our panel one discussions this morning. So now we're live for a Q&A session with Christo and Sebastian. So um, please do send through your questions. It's your chance to uh, talk with them in a little bit uh, more depth. Um, whilst we're waiting for the questions to come in, I've got a raft of my own. So um, just kind of kind of start and uh, and uh, and get going um, with uh, with the uh, with the debate. Uh, so there's a whole heap of issues that you both explored uh, in your presentations. Uh, perhaps the first one coming back. Um, as raised in panel one also, is just looking at the state of um, infrastructure readiness and preparedness to support um, the global vaccine distribution effort. Um, it's something that was mentioned, Sebastian, particularly by you. But could you give us some perspectives on, you know, as users of infrastructure, you know, how, how you are viewing what's available on a global basis, but also the regional basis? Yeah, sure. Happy to do that. Um, thank you for the question. Um, I think the, the ultimate challenge uh, at the beginning um, has been the, the um, very um, low temperature requirement by the Pfizer vaccine. So the first vaccine actually, which has been um, um, approved um, out there. And uh, obviously a lot of, a lot of governments were, were not prepared um, to, to have such kind of facilities uh, available um, close to where they needed that. So that, that was the first big challenge, um, actually. But it uh, very, very quickly um, popped up also in a, in a lot of countries where we were involved as, as DHL and um, all our business units, that even um, like the, the usual frozen uh, temperature, like minus 20 or two to eight capacities, um, yeah, they, they were uh, used already to a certain extent. So um, there has been um, quite an urgent call for action from, from government institutions towards uh, not only us, DHL, but other forwarders as well, um, because they have not been ready. And um, like my colleagues uh, in the video uh, interview also mentioned, um, a lot of um, facilities out there are, are simply not, not properly set up today uh, in order to be used for pharmaceuticals because there are perishable stored inside or, or things like that. So uh, that's definitely something which needs to be worked on. Yeah, thank you, Sebastian. I know your colleagues in the video mentioned the issue of cross-contamination as, as one of the one of the key areas. And Fristo, I know, you know, as AP Muller-Mursk, you have a big investment in, in infrastructure as well as in uh, sport. Uh, so land-based infrastructure. Could you give us a couple of uh, a couple of comments on this area? Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, yes, inf infrastructure, as Sebastian uh, mentioned, is extremely important. And can we uh, supply all the infrastructure needed for the distribution of COVID vaccine? Uh, I don't think uh, it's going to be such an easy effort, and that's why we're already looking at a lot of. Uh, mitigation solutions. One of them is we're considering to use reefer containers inland for final mile distributions at, in developing countries in remote areas. Uh, the whole business plan is not very attractive as such uh, commercially for us because that means the containers would be inland and they'll be um, 
that will be held up for extended periods of time, and this is uh, it's really not good news when you when you hear and you consider that there is not enough containers uh, uh, globally, and if you lock a lot of containers, uh, it won't be a great approach. But we are ready to uh, to support uh, cases where uh, this is needed. In terms of fixed facilities, cold chain facilities, ultra cold chain facilities, um, there is not enough. There is a lot of investments uh, going in the global market to cover those, uh, but we're not going to be able to uh, to cover for the whole current pandemic. A lot of pharmaceutical companies are already looking in the future, uh, considering different pandemics and different situations that might rise up. They're looking into facilities to develop and produce vaccines at speed and capacity. That means also current investments in infrastructure would be very beneficial for the future and therefore uh, quite a good business plan to consider. Uh, thank you very much both. And I want to go on and talk about another issue that's been raised a lot in the first two panels um, around um, product integrity, um, crossing a, cr a number of areas. One, the physical ensuring of the product integrity, the other, uh, the data that supports the product integrity and making sure that data itself is um, reliable and trustworthy. We've got a question that's come in related to that to kick, kick this conversation off, um, which is from uh, Nick. Thank you very much, Nick. And we were just talking about this. Um, Nick says, I understand the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine must not be shaken as it can lose its potency. Is this the case? And will the movement of vessels and trucks present a problem for this vaccine if it's moved by sea freight and container logistics? Sebastian. Well, well I'm not a pharmacist, uh, so uh, actually I'm, I, don't, I don't know, to be honest. I don't know exactly what Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine can take as a kind of a movement or, or shaking or, or shock, um, so to speak. So, but I'm I'm uh, I'm sure that um, the the colleagues at Pfizer are working on that and and to see what what this can take. I mean, in the past for other uh, vaccines um, uh, producers, we also run trials on on the China rail, for example, um, where where you encounter a lot of lot of shocks, of course, on the way from from Europe to China, or vice versa. Um, so I think trials uh, might might be the right thing to do to to see. How much movement, how much shocks, how much shocks appear, and then for Pfizer Biontech to to determine if if that's okay for them to take or or if it's impacting the the vaccine. Thank you, and that's a quite a perfect segue to Risto, a question I wanted to ask you earlier or a point. Um, I know that Maersk is uh, looking at that overland, uh, you know, New Silk Road route by rail as well for for various. Um, movements of uh, items to support the vaccine effort. So could you give us a little comment uh, in that context? Yes, thank you, Rachel. <clears throat> so uh, something I also wanted to add in the previous panel is uh, it, what's important is the patient. And this is decided by the pharmaceutical company quality departments, and they're the ones who determine how products need to be transported and uh, distributed in different areas. So what we can do as a logistics suppliers is to listen to their quality needs, uh, as they're our customers and deliver uh, based on these needs. Uh, what we have done at Maersk is uh, we are historically a maritime company. We own a lot of ships, we operate ships, containers. We move one of five containers in the world. 
However, we have also taken a, a journey of transformation where we have, um, we have focused on the customer and we are trying to deliver integrated logistics end-to-end -end for our customers. That means that there has been investment, investments in air freight, there has been investments in uh, rail services from Asia into Europe. We have been able to come with some creative uh, solutions for our customers and in a very quick manner. And at the same time, also from Europe into Asia. And we, are, uh, we have seen a very unpredicted, huge growth in this uh, specific rail market. Uh, and we are uh, const the teams are constantly busy to find more solutions and cater for customer needs. Uh, thank you very much. We've got a couple more questions coming in that relate very much to the panel that's coming up this afternoon. Um, so from um, Andrew Cowderoy um, for, for both, I'll start off with one for Sebastian. Um, so Andrew says, thank you for your presentation, Sebastian. In your second video, there was a comment about ensuring all personnel in the supply chain meet regulatory health conditions. How does DHL go about uh, ensuring this? Um, yeah, thank you for the question. Um, I think it was more related to the, to the um, um, uh, health uh, authority requirements. So what we mean by that is that A, our own personnel, um, they are all trained on, on GDP, good distribution practices. Um, there are renewal trainings, be it e-learning or, or classroom uh, trainings. And um, secondly, all our subcontractors, which, uh, which we are using for transportation of uh, pharmaceuticals, they undergo a specific um, yeah, subcontractor management approval process. I mean, Christo uh, know that, uh, you know, um, he, he mentioned also about quality agreements. That's, that's one aspect, but it's also about, um, yeah, assessing what has been signed in those agreements, if that's really lived day in, day out um, at the subcontractors. And here, not only the shipping line, uh, but also trucking companies, or in case uh, we do use third-party uh, staffing facilities. So that is meant by by all personnel in the supply chain, where we has uh, are the the contractor, uh, is um, somewhat compliance to to the health regulatory uh, requirements. Yeah. And so, Christo, uh, same to you, because we know that obviously there are so many handoffs and parties in, a, in an international uh, movement across sea and land for container logistics. How, how's Maersk managing that in terms of uh, uh, obviously the well-being of the, the personnel, but also the, the, the protocols along your, your own supply chain? Well, obviously for a global company, it's extremely important that we have uh, global processes and SOPs in order to ensure the same level, uh, high level of operations everywhere globally, no matter if it's in Northern Europe, in US, in Latin America and Africa. So it's extremely important to have a set of requirements that we are executing. And every day we are, we are transporting so many reefer containers. Our personnel is quite routine and experienced However, continuously we're stressing the quality needs for pharmaceutical products. And we have a team of global uh, reefer experts and pharmaceutical experts who are um, constantly um, hyper caring for those specific pharmaceutical needs. Uh, thank you. And, and this is all around integrity on, on every level. Um, with the quality and compliance you've just mentioned, uh, Risto, it's a, back to Sebastian, we were just talking about this. Uh, if you look at the sort of quality and compliance issues in say air freight movements versus ocean, how, how do they stack up against each other? Uh, and 
you know, what can ocean freight learn from, um, from air freight? Um, yeah, well, first of all, I, I think overall, um, watching the topic of compliance and, and uh, quality, I think ocean can still learn a lot from the air freight industry. I, I think air freight industry is, is um, far ahead. Um, they, you know, they, they have specific uh, certifications such as CEIV and, and, and the kind of, um, but they are also uh, touching the freight uh, very regular, be it at origin or destination, which usually we in the ocean supply chain, we don't, you know, mm -hmm. we, we provide an empty container to, to shippers facility in, in 90 plus percent of the cases. Uh, um, and they seal it and we, we pick it up and deliver it to the consignee, but we are not touching the freight as such. So there might not be a need of a direct certification of, of, um, of us, um, but that, that's a definite, definitely a, a difference. Um, and at the same time, um, I mean, what, what Maersk has done the last year is it's fantastic, I think, in, in, in terms of quality and, and addressing the compliance issue. But they are, they, are, they are just one out of a couple of um, ocean lines, which which would need to follow, you know. And I think there is the big gap still um, on the shipping line side to, to really open up to these kind of quality improvements and, and having a quality management system, SOPs um, and, and, and the likes. Um, but then also having terminals to follow, like like Cedarth uh, mentioned earlier, you know, taking these kind of uh, actions from terminal providers, depots. Um, I think those are the next steps and, and need to follow in the next years to come. I guess that wraps up very well into what Fristo was just saying in terms of maybe a transformation, certainly of some, you know, shipping lines, uh, Maersk as a, as a classic example, into a more sort of rounded logistics uh, provider and with much more emphasis on the customer and, and, and the cargo rather than being a commodity somewhere in, in the supply chain. So I'm seeing a couple more questions coming in. Hold on a second. Just going to have a little, a little review. So the question come in uh, going back to time permits, I want to come back into the quality piece, um, but um, how much <clears throat> how much of the infrastructure readiness that you've both addressed is being supported by governments versus the private sector? And, uh, you know, what's the prognosis for this going forwards for uh, seaports uh, and airports? Maybe to, to, to start from my side, um, I mean, at the end of the day, um, most of the, the um, yeah, like, let's say cold storage facilities, and they are privately owned, they are not state owned. But at the end of the day, uh, coming back also what we discussed earlier, collaboration, um, yeah, I mean, the, there is a certain partnership needed also with governments or, or non-governmental um, institutions. Um, for the private sector to know what is the demand and is it worth to invest or, or not, right? Otherwise, we have, I don't know, empty cold storage facilities everywhere, you know, making an environmental impact but not being used. Or the other way around, maybe the even more extreme, that, that, that there is not enough uh, infrastructure. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's a continuous uh, communication which needs to take place and which may not have taken place enough uh, in the past. And Fristo, as I said, as a major investor, your group in uh, in uh, uh, assets uh, infrastructure, uh, what's your take on this? Well, when we touch on, uh, upon the private-public sector um, collaboration and the way it works, is I mean there there is uh, yeah there there is room for improvement, 
And, and uh, of, of course, we're looking from our commercial angle, where we are investing in different facilities, trying to improve our infrastructure, and to the extent possible, we're collaborating with the public sector. This is very different in different places globally. Uh, we have uh, countries in the world where all the healthcare uh, inbound volumes are um, uh, controlled by the public sector, and we have to rely on them to do the final mile distribution. And what we can do is get products to them, and then they take care of the rest. There is uh, there is places in Europe where um, we own the assets and we uh, ensure this final mile distribution. And I assume it's the same for DHL, right? There's a lot of different dynamics and we're trying to make the best of it. Um, there is also the angle of uh, humanitarian involvement. Mm. Uh, and very often uh, it's expected that the commercial sector supports the public sector, which we do. But there is also, yeah, that's uh, also a complicated dynamic. And there is also commercial matters to be taken into uh, consideration. Yes, feeds back into conversations we're having this morning in the panel with uh, with Michael as well, that uh, it was all around collaboration and the need for collaboration across the chain that executes the delivery, but also that very much includes all the public sector uh, enterprises, which are perhaps more nationally focused than internationally focused quite often, and that that brings its own um, complexities. So, um, sorry, Christo, carry on. Just one more thing uh, from my experience, what I have seen in the past several years, usually this collaboration, uh, of course, it is in the private sector and we are always open to collaborate, but it's much easier if it's driven by the public sector where there is a little bit more heavy administration uh, approach. And when they're open and reaching out to us, we're always open to collaborate with them and support them. Well, thank you both very much. I'm getting a little warning here that uh, our session is almost up. I did want to see if we could delve a bit more into data um, and claims and how to interpret data, but I'm afraid that's probably going to have to wait for another day. So thank you again, gentlemen, for all your contribution. Uh, we'll finish this session and then we'll be back shortly uh, with a technology demo from Orbcom. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much.